I'm Herbie Gaylord, and this is Bright, stories of hope and innovation in Michigan classrooms, a podcast where we celebrate our state's educators and explore the future of learning. As the ever-wonderful Nikki Herda enjoys her vacation, we're kicking off a mini-series called Lessons Learned, where we reflect on some of the themes that emerged from season one and highlight some of our favorite moments from our interviews with Michigan educators. In today's episode, we explore themes on the future of learning. Throughout our first 14 episodes, many educators shared their theories on what the classrooms of the futures ought to look like. A few key terms came up regularly during these discussions, student-centered learning, project-based learning, and competency-based learning. At the center of these theories lies the notion of giving students more agency over their learning. Many educators agree with this base premise. But maybe the more interesting question is, what does it look like in practice? First up, we've got Amy Gwiditz, an instructional technology coach at Dearborn Public Schools. She offers a definition of student-centered learning and shares how educational technology can help teachers design student-centered classrooms. In student-centered learning, um, it operates around the idea of voice and choice for the students, and the students are driving their instruction. So um, it's not a teacher-centered classroom where the teacher's making all the decisions. Um, We like to say, why should the teachers have to do all the work? Let's let the students do some of the work. And by giving the students the opportunity to express their choices and how they want to learn things, you're going to actively increase their motivation and their engagement in your lessons. Because now they're not learning what the teacher says I have to learn, they're learning what they want to learn about, or at least in a way that they want to learn about it. So, um, and that's one great aspect of technology in the classroom is that by offering choices through technology, um, or by offering technology as a choice, I should say, um, a lot of students, that's engaging to them. To be able to create a video or to be able to watch a video or to listen to a book on the computer as opposed to having to read it. Um, Just offering different ways for students to use technology creatively, but on their own terms is super important to uh, student-centered learning. And we've always been big proponents of that. Voice and choice has always been something that we advocate for. And a lot of teachers will look at it as um, more work for them. And it is. In the beginning, it's more work for teachers to set things like this up. But once you set it up, and that's the beauty of having an LMS, is once you set things up, it's there. And also, when I was in the classroom, I used several different programs for either remediation or for enrichment. So if I had students who needed extra help, you know, there were videos or there were demonstrations and things that they could do online. If I had students who were ahead of schedule and needed some enrichment, there were other things that they could do online. And, you know, offering them the chance of creating things is just a huge uh, bonus for students because it's theirs. They take a hand in it, they take ownership of it, it becomes theirs. You can hear more from Amy and her colleague Bob in episode one of Bright titled, Where Does Tech Belong in Teaching? Next up, we have Dr. Sarah Pazer, the Director of School Leadership at Flex Tech High School, who shares her vision for how project-based curriculum can help students reignite their love for learning. 
I really think it's important for schools to foster and sustain curiosity um, and agency in the learning process so that students are invested in the work that they're doing because it matters to them, but also because it has an impact in the world that they're a part of. Um, so I think making sure that we're sort of still building those important skills, those transferable skills that students need for when they leave school, um, but that we're doing it through work that really is meaningful to that student. Um, so that's my vision is that kids are inspired and they're connected to the work that they're doing um, and that they see school as a part of life, not separate from life. Um, that's my vision is that that school no longer becomes this dread, right? Like it's there that it's a, there's a reason you go to school is because it's going to help you do something you really care about um, and, and have an impact on the world. So that's my, that's my utopian vision. <laughs> and how do you guys, um, you know, that seems pretty in line with what you do at FlexTech. Um, so could you speak a little bit to like what that looks like in practice? Sure. So our, all of our courses are project-based. So if you're a student at FlexTech, um, ultimately what you're doing is you're solving problems in your class around, or that help you kind of like cultivate those skills within that discipline. So, you know, if you're a math student, you're working on a project while you're still practicing mathematical skills that you would need or that are required for you, um, you know, to be successful. So it's, it's a method of learning that um, frames kind of um, the skills within a bigger question. So we call these like essential questions. And students are working throughout the semester, the marking period to answer this question. So sometimes it means working in small groups. Sometimes it means, you know, a mini lesson from the teacher and you're practicing a skill. Sometimes it means you're interviewing somebody in the community to get more information or you're online researching. Um, but ultimately, all of your work is around this project and you're you're working on that over the course of the, the marking period. Um, so even though students leave us prepared with those same skills that you would need to have, you know, that the Michigan Merit Curriculum, um, they're doing it in a different way that's more exciting and, and meaningful to them. You know, we often give kids an opportunity to demonstrate their mastery through projects that, you know, they care about. So even though the teacher may pose a project or an essential question and the team works on that, kids can take that off into different avenues and, and focus on one specific aspect that is exciting to them. Um, so as long as they're showing that they can master the skill, we give them a lot of autonomy um, over how they demonstrate that. And I think that kind of leads into the other part of what it looks like is assessment is really different. So we are fully competency-based. So a project might address, you know, two competencies or two learning standards um, that, you, that you would normally maybe work on through a textbook and then get quizzed on. Instead, our students are working on building that, you know, building their um, mastery of those things over time through the project. And then at the end, a student would you know, either present their project if it's a presentation or maybe it's a solution to a community problem. So maybe they're getting feedback from community members. But at the end, it's about giving students feedback on how they did to, to solve that problem. So it's not necessarily a test or a quiz, but it certainly is, you know, feedback from an authentic audience that gives students um, kind of what the next steps are that they need to do to revise or be better. Can you think of any examples um, off the top of your head of just like a student 
like a specific story of a student who really thrived in this model that was like struggling before, you know, obviously you don't have to use their name, but just like where they started versus where they left from FlexTech? Sure. I, um, I was thinking about one of my favorite, um, projects at FlexTech. It was a partnership that we had with the village workshop, which is a maker space in Northville. Unfortunately, I don't think they're there anymore, but at the time we had a partnership with them and 16 of our students went there, um, for a full year and they learned the different tools inside the different shops. So they worked through like the wood shop, the machine shop, textiles, metalworking, and they learned how to use all of the tools in the makerspace. And then at the end of that, they had to propose kind of a community project or a community problem that they wanted to solve. And they used what they learned at the makerspace to solve this problem. And so one of the students, um, she suffered from social anxiety and knew that a lot of the students in our school sometimes have, you know, suffer from anxiety. And and one of the things that she proposed for our school community was kind of like a, um, like a, um, just like an oasis kind of like in the school where it was like a, a room where you could kind of go and just like decompress or be alone or just, you know, a safe space where students could go and, you know, a quiet space where they could be. Um, and so she constructed a whole, space in our school community and it became this awesome like safe haven for kids who just needed to kind of get away from the hustle and bustle and just you know be in a quiet atmosphere to kind of bring down anxiety levels um and so this became like really important to our school um and it was just so neat to see kind of her like use her own experience and think about like how could I help others that feel this way too and it became kind of a permanent fixture in our school Um, so that was one really cool example to see kind of a transformation of a student who you know maybe would have never gotten that opportunity in a traditional setting and you know not only she got to address her own kind of anxiety but she helped others too and I think that was just a phenomenal example of you know something that I think wouldn't be fostered in a different environment that we were able to do for her. Um, and she did for herself, I should say. Um, but yeah, some other examples of students doing work in, from the village workshop that um, had a really great impact in the community where um, we had a, a girl do kind of like a Save the Bees campaign. And so she made bee boxes and put them around Belle Isle. Um, that was a really cool example. We had another student who built furniture for a retirement home. Um, and then we had another student who made chess boards and checkerboards for students at Children's Hospital um, who were going through cancer treatments. And he was able to drop these like off for them uh, to use while they were you know, in their hospital stay. So just I think those examples um, just speak to kind of the the way that project-based learning can also be very community and service oriented. Um, And I think that kids are developing empathy through those experiences. You can hear more from Sarah in episode 12 of Bright titled how to reignite love for learning with a project-based curriculum. Next up, we have Tanya Leone, a teacher at Richards middle school in Fraser, Michigan, who shares what competency-based learning looks like in practice in her middle school English classroom. I teach English, and so there are several skills that we teach. We have it boiled down to six competencies, for example, in English 7 and 8 in my building. And they're the critical, big, transferable skills that students have to be able to do when they leave my class. 
And some of those skills, they're very diverse from presenting and speaking to critical reading and formal writing. And so some of my skills or some of my students, excuse me, are fantastic critical readers who are so good at questioning and analyzing and applying and advocating. And then that same student struggles so much the second I say that we're going to work on communication skills and presentation. Mm -hmm. And so being able to reallocate that time so that the students get the support they need when and where they need it and can then accelerate their learning when they don't need that extra support, you know, we're given 54 minutes a class period for all students to go to math every day, but there are some students who don't need more than 15 minutes in math. And there are others who need an hour and 15 minutes in math. And so I just think that making sure that all students get to that competency is important regardless of how long it takes to get there. If you were to come to my house, we're, we're sitting in my office right now that probably is echoey because I have like no furniture in here because we're demoing it and renovating it and it's kind of a hot mess at the moment. It would not matter to you and you would not know how long I took doing this wall behind me. It was a long time, but you would have no clue how long it took just that I did it, right? And so I think that that's that philosophy that we need to have is, is we need to get everyone to this point where we say they've mastered whatever skills we want to say they've mastered. At the end of the day, it does not matter how quickly or slowly as long as they do that. So moving them along before they have is damaging uh, in the same way or in a, a different way, I guess as making them sit there once they've mastered it. And so really guaranteeing, guaranteeing that students are learning without the amount of time they've spent in seats is crucial. And unfortunately, it's not how our system was built and we really need to look at, and there are conversations, they've happened, uh, there are seat time waivers all over the place. Uh, Frazier has one for some hybrid classes they run, but we need to have more conversations about showing mastery and moving on, regardless of how long it took to master that content or that skill or that competency. So ensuring they're learning without determining the time it takes to get there is, I can't wait till we're at a place where that is happening, happening universally. Can you tell me about how you've adjusted your assessment practices to allow students to demonstrate mastery of knowledge and skills? Uh, yeah, so I think I mentioned earlier that, I don't know about you, but when I went to school, I wrote a lot of papers and took a lot of tests. And in my time since being in school, I have written very few papers and have taken even fewer tests. And so, Preparing students to take a test, in my opinion, is kind of a waste of time. Asking students to just demonstrate learning through an essay is also, someone somewhere is about to yell because I'm an English teacher, kind of a waste of time. And so I just think that if we're going to demand that we're creating these future ready citizens, right, that are able to leave and go have a life when they leave high school, 
we have to teach them authentic transferable skills and we have to measure them in authentic transferable ways. And so that means something different for every single kid that I have and no one has sat down, maybe not no one, my daughter has probably sat down and been excited about a test, but very few people get excited over doing that. But if you ask them instead to design a prototype that will help feed your dog using the angles you learned in science. Again, I don't know why I'm using science examples. It is not in my wheelhouse of expertise. And they came up with the idea because they have a pet and they want to go away to a friend's house on the weekend, but their job is to feed the dog. How are they going to design it? Now you're having kids problem solve. So if you're asking these people, these students who are going to go one day design something for us as a community to use, um, why can't they come up with ideas that show the concept um, hey, tell me how you're going to demonstrate to me that you know how to use evidence to support your point. That does not have to be an essay. That can be a crazy, amazing commercial or a PSA that they're doing or a board proposal about why they should start school later because they can't handle an eight o'clock class. Like, what does that look like that is meaningful to them, that engages them, and that is a skill that they will very likely use later in life? But sitting and hammering out a five-paragraph essay and taking a multiple-choice or short-answer test is not necessarily something that will come invaluable in their daily life. And so uh, that has been what has driven me and my team over the last several years. We don't give tests anymore at all, really. Everything that we do is more project-oriented, where at the end of it, they're proud. And sure, if you take a test and get an A, you're proud. I, I'm sure. I know I used to be. But I'm more proud when I create something, when I've designed something, and when I've demonstrated my knowledge in a unique way that the kid next to me hasn't done the exact same thing. And so that's kind of the philosophy behind the way that I I want to assess kids the way that I want my children assessed, the way that I want to know that the person coming to work next to me has been assessed, that they haven't just taken tests really well, that they know how to speak and present and innovate and advocate. And so if that's what I expect from everybody around me, that's what I have to expect from my students as well. And so projects and designing, more projects and designing and and let's be honest, it's so much more fun to grade that than tests and essays, like, for real. You can hear more from Tanya in Episode 3 of Bright, titled, What's Best for Kids? Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bright, where we synthesize some of our lessons learned from Season 1 on the future of student learning. We'll have a couple more lessons learned coming out in the following weeks where we reflect on what needs to change for education to become more equitable and how, no matter the learning environment, relationships are the true heart of teaching. Back in the studio, we're lining up some really awesome guest speakers for season two of the Bright Podcast, which will feature shorter episodes as we dive straight to the heart of the matter at hand. The Bright Podcast is produced by me, Herbie Gaylord is hosted by Nikki Herda and is made possible by Michigan Virtual, a nonprofit organization that's leading and collaborating to build learning environments for tomorrow. Education is changing faster than ever. Discover new models and resources to move learning forward at your school at michiganvirtual.org.